You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi everyone, I am Martina Cunha and you are listening to Backstage Talk. Hello, hello and welcome back. Um, this is the first episode I record on New Year's, uh, even though it's not the first episode I publish on New Year's. And today I have the honor of being with Don Chiang. She is a lighting designer for theater and entertainment events. So hi, Don. How are you? Hi, Martin. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year's. I'm good. Um, I'm having fun, and I'm really excited for what 2021 may bring. How are you? Same, same. Very, very happy to start a new year, and there's going to be lots of new developments coming this year, we all hope and think. Yeah, I mean, 2020 was a crazy ride. Yeah. Uh, but I know that we have a lot of things in store and more, hoping that the theater and the entertainment industry can get right back on track. So yeah, yeah. hopefully, yes. hopefully good things will come uh, to us theater folks. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so Don, uh, let, let us know a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a lighting designer. I work in theater uh, and I've been doing it ever since I got out of school and in college is when I discovered theater for real. I'd done a little bit in junior high school and, and high school, but discovered for real that this was the love of my life, and I wanted to jump in with both feet and see what happens. So I work on plays. I work on musicals. I've worked in opera. Uh, I was resident line designer for New York City Opera, and and that's that's pretty much what I do. I I love it so much. And you you just said you had an experience in in high school. Um, did you start it? I mean, on the first the first thing you do was lighting, or did you start somewhere else and you transferred transferred uh, to lighting? I transferred to lighting. So my background is 16 years of piano study, including four years at Oberlin Conservatory and eight years of ballet. So in junior high school, I just I signed up to be in the chorus for what did we do first? We did um, we did a musical and Oliver. And I was in the chorus for that and then did another musical during the summer just for fun with some friends of mine uh, in a community production in the in the region. And that was um, Brigadoon. And and then that was about it. I, I mean, I don't think I if I knew anything, I maybe knew stage law from stage right. But that was about it. And then fast forward to college, and I was a psychology major, and I had a friend who was a voice major who said, how would you like to help finish building some scenery for Don Giovanni? And I went, yeah, sure. And so I went over and volunteered, and I thoroughly fell in love with it. We had a, 
I was in school in Ohio. We had a designer from New York who'd come in to do the scenery and a scenic artist who was very accomplished and was a professional painter. He actually restored paintings at the art museum in town. Uh, so I fell in love with that. I was watching the show from the wing stage left. I signed up for run crew and I saw everything come together in terms of scenery, lighting, costumes, music. And I went, wow, they do this all on purpose. I want to learn how to do that. And so I added a second major in theater and basically never looked back. So I, I literally walked in off the street the spring of my sophomore year and never left. That, that's nice. So you have the two degrees. You have a psychology yes. major and the theater major. That's correct. That's correct. And um, I know that besides lighting design, you also do theater consulting, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So I kind of fell into that by accident as well. Uh, when I was resident lighting designer for New York City Opera at Lincoln Center, I was uh, attending a national conference, Opera America, that was being held in New York City that year. And one of the speakers was Richard Pilbro, who is a renowned lighting designer as well as a theater consultant. He, he uh, founded his own company, Theater Projects, a number of years ago, and they have offices both in London and the U.S. and elsewhere around the world. So I went to hear him speak on a panel about the designing of opera houses. And after the panel, I found him in the lobby and told him how much I enjoyed his talk because his talks were slide presentations. It was slides then instead of PowerPoints <laughs> yet. Uh, told him how much I enjoyed his presentation because he was very famous for his slide talks. And so we just started to chat and sat down to lunch, which is where we were all going next. And then a little while after, I got a phone call from his office to come help out on a particular project. And that just started this relationship that's gone on for quite some time. So I would come in and work on targeted projects here, here and there as needed. Uh, so, so that one thing led to another and that's how I, I joined, I joined theater projects, uh, working in consulting. It, it was a snowball project and it, it, it was a snowball effect for everything you've done. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, one thing and another thing. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so one thing, I mean, one project in between was we did the Lincoln Center need study. So Lincoln Center, if you recall, uh, finished a renovation of their entire campus that finished up around 2014. And before that, Lincoln Center hired an architectural firm and theater projects to do a study of their campus. They knew that the, because the campus had been built in the, in the fifties and sixties and they knew that it needed renovation. There were, there were parts of the steps and things like that were starting to crumble a bit, but they also operationally, you know, theaters have, 
progressed a lot since the 60s. So we were tasked with interviewing all of the many resident companies that are part of Lincoln Center to find out where they were, what they needed, and so on and so forth. The architects were doing the same in terms of the actual building structure. And we put together this enormous report that uh, basically said it was going to cost about a billion dollars to renovate everything. And Lincoln Center went, yep, we'll do that. And they did. And they did. Yeah. I mean, it's an, it was an enormous effort. There, there's some incredible books about how that all came, you know, came about in terms of the actual fundraising and, and how they, oh, yeah. And by the way, they're still operating. They're not shutting down, at least not yet. They, you know, they, they continue to perform and operate as these renovations took place. So I was part of that. And then probably the most recent things that I've worked on were two big water spectaculars in Macau in China. So if you've seen or are familiar with O or Larev, the two big water spectaculars in Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. that director, Franco Dragon, was asked to do a third water show uh, in Macau, which is about 40 miles west of Hong Kong. And so theater projects were part of the planning and designing of that facility. So what theater consultants do is figure out what needs you have for a theater. The same way that uh, when an architect is designing a hospital for existence, for example, they will bring in a, a a hospital consultant because of all the specialty needs that are involved in building a hospital. Same thing is true, as you can imagine, for theater. The loading dock needs to be near the stage. The dressing rooms need to have easy access to the stage, and so on and so forth. Uh, Facilities like that, the rehearsal room is three stories tall because you have acrobatic um, uh, ensembles that need to rehearse. They need vertical space, and and you also need rigging points, you know, up on, on the ceiling. And on, and on the walls and, and so on and so forth. So that's there's a physiotherapy room because you have athletes uh, who are your cast and so on and so forth. So so I was the part of the project management team for House of Dancing Water in Macau. And also Franco was asked to do a fourth water show in central China and I the Han show. And I was part of the project management team on that as well. So for Macau, I moved to Macau for a year to help supervise construction. And on the one in China, I would come in and out. We had a team there for two and a half years. And I would come in uh, towards towards the end when we do commissioning, when we test all the systems to make sure they work. That, that sounds amazing. And now that you, you recall that you went to China for these two shows. Um, I know that this job has taken you around the world several times. Um, what are the, the your favorite memories about it all? Oh, wow. Um, I was... Richard Pelbrod was the lighting designer for Hal Prince's production of Showboat, and I was the associate lighting designer. And we started in Toronto, and the year after that, we we created the second company that came to Broadway. 
with the original cast, second physical set and all that. I mean, this was a huge show. There's 60 people in the cast. There were over 600 costumes. There's a montage sequence in Act Two where, in about a 10 minute sequence, we're, we're showing the, the process of time over a few decades. And the entire cast is coming on stage, going off stage, coming on stage, and all that. And every time they go off stage, they're changing costume to move to another decade. So there were 12 dressers backstage. Uh, changing them like three times to to go through this whole process it it was really quite beautiful um so we ended up having five companies worldwide and i was the lighting supervisor for all of them and our producer also wanted me to go to every city that every production went to to basically what I called fluff up the light cues to make sure that everything was perfect and ready to go. So um, over the course of five and a half years, I went to 33 cities worldwide to set up the show. I was still designing my own shows as well. So I was on a lot of airplanes. And at one point, there was a three-month period where I was on the road for three months straight. So I remember um, going to one, we in Texas, uh, taking care of one US production because we were in Canada, North America. We had three productions in between Canada and the United States. So I stopped in and took care of one production in Texas. And then I flew onward to Sydney, Australia to set up that company. I spent a month in Sydney, Australia lighting that production. Richard was supposed to join me, but this is, there was a, um, um, a currency, a financial crisis at that time that was affecting Asia. So he wasn't able to attend. So I set up the whole production myself. And then from Sydney, Australia, I flew onward to London, to the West End, and met Richard there to set up the West End production. So I flew literally around, around the, the globe. globe. Yeah, on 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 the producer's dime. It was the first time I'd flown business class internationally, and and it, I remember realizing, wow, they they can make comfortable seats for airplanes. <laughs> this is really cool. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> nice. So yeah, so that was that was incredible to get literally around the world trip. Lighting. It was fantastic. Mind blowing. I mean, one one day you were in Australia, the other one you were back in the States, the other one you were in London. I mean yeah. that, that must have been crazy. Crazy I loved crazy. It. I loved it. It was fantastic. <laughs> Let's dive into what do you do the most, into lightning, design, and production. I want to know your approach to storytelling through light. Okay. Uh, storytelling through light, you're, there's a very natural thing that happens when you're looking at anything. Your eye will always go to the brightest thing on stage or in a photograph or looking out the window. It's just, that's what captures your interest. So that's a very basic principle by which to work. 
if if the singer is singing, that's where we want to look. The the chorus may be secondary, or the chorus may be invisible until the chorus of the song begins. So then I can start to build up the light on the chorus when they become part of the performance, and then may we we may drop them back down when we go into the second verse. So it's composing what the look is, where are you looking, and what is the mood of what's going on. I. I realized that I I tie in very much to what the performer is doing on performers are doing on stage, and I I realized that when I was guest teaching um, at a university one time, and they were doing a play where the second act opened with a very melancholy version of the song of Oh Danny Boy. So there was a single actor on a low wooden stool who sang this song and, and someone, so one of my students asked after they saw the show about why did you like that song in such a melancholy way? And I hadn't even realized consciously that I was doing that. I was simply responding to the actor on stage. So I'm, I'm like a scene partner. I'm a, I'm a scene partner to what is going on on stage. Um, and I will respond to you on stage in, in that way. And, and sometimes the best feedback I get is when the actors will tell me the lighting that you're doing feels so right for each moment and each scene. I can feel that, that I'm in that place, in that space, and in that moment because we're enveloping them in, in this environment. And, and so that's also when I know I'm on track, but that's what I'm responding to. I like that he mentioned that lighting designers are a scene partner. I'd like to think about everyone that's involved in the production uh, is a scene partner and um, it, it's this holistic system in mm -hmm. which we all have the same goal. Uh, maybe not the same tasks or jobs, but we do have the same goal. And I like to think that a production manager, a stage manager, um, a dress manager, a lighting designer, a dress designer, uh, they are all scene partners. And they That's just right. enhance the, the, the performer's performance. Um, yeah. And I like to think about it that way. Uh, and I, I like that you used that concept of, of scene partner. Um, I, I now wanted to, to know, you just recall two basics of um, lighting storytelling. The mm -hmm. first one is the mood, and the other one is uh, the audience's eyes will always go to the brightest spot. Mm -hmm. What are other basics that we have to take into account, not only as designers, but as performers, uh, to build together that... Um, production? Um, I mean, there's the more technical side there. Uh, uh, we use contrast as, as a way to, to make things stand out. So there's light and dark contrast, wh where what's light and what's dark. There's also warm and cool contrast. That's another way to, to pop things out. Um, and, and you, you can, 
A great, a great example of that sometimes are uh, mail order catalogs. And if you ever study, they oftentimes control the color palette very carefully. And sometimes it's all one sort of color. It may be all in sort of uh, uh, steel gray, steel, you know, all in ranges of that, or it may be warm and cool. You know, if you start actually paying attention to those kinds of things, it's kind of fun. One costume designer I worked with sometimes would bring in mail order catalogs and turn the images upside down so you aren't reading the content of it, but turn it upside down and have the director respond to the colors that they see to see if any of particular types of combinations are are where they're going or or seem to respond to the way that we're doing this particular production. Um, I've had direct some directors create a mood board, the same thing, clipping out images either for magazines or for Pinterest or, or something just to give you a sense of what they're feeling. It may not be literal of what the what images would be in the play but gives you a sense of that and sometimes i a projection designer i worked with once did that on that show and i was able to use his mood board uh that completely informed some of the choices that i made in the light plot and the colors that i used and and so sometimes lighting Sometimes I talk, I, I describe a director as, uh, let's say we're all coming to the director's place for, for dinner. And one person's coming from the east, somebody's coming from the north, somebody's coming from the west, and somebody's coming from the south. And he gives us all different directions. And we all get there, but, and we all arrive at the same place at the same time. That's what a director does in very broad strokes. <laughs> Uh, so, so that's, that's part of it as well. And, and sometimes the easiest way to tap into what's going on, uh, cause we, we always have design meetings in advance of creating the design and this is in advance of rehearsals beginning. Um, we'll often talk about what ultimately turns out to be the speech that the director gives on the first day of rehearsal to the cast. You know, what is this play? Uh, why are we doing this play now? And how does, how does it relate to everyone here in the room? And that's also the same conversation that we have when we start the design and, and then get into more specific aspects. You know, we have three different locales that we need to, to go to and we need to be able to transition quickly from scene two to scene three, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, you just mentioned that when the design is starting or when the production is starting, the director gathers all the, the crew and cast um, and explains why they're doing the show they're doing. Mm -hmm. From your side as a, as a designer, what are those questions that you ask the director to create your design? Well, it really does. I think we all have been taught that um, the director takes the lead. One designer I assisted early on talk, described directors as a benign dictatorship. You know, the, the director is leading the way the director wants to go is the way we're 
going to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so I want to hear what his or her view, you know, perspective is on on the production and see where it's going. Uh, quite honestly, in terms of sequence of when designs are due, set designers usually have their designs due first because it's going to take time to construct the set and so on and so forth. Costume is second. And then lighting's third. So I get to piggyback on a lot of research <laughs> that my fellow designers have done uh regarding the period or the type of uh locale that we're we're addressing and so on and so forth so so they've done a lot that of that sometimes i do my own as well <clears throat> to supplement that as as needed uh so in terms of the big picture the the director's taking the lead sometimes uh there are technical more technical issues that uh I need to get into about, okay, we want to have stars in the second act, but there's a trend, a technical transition of getting out of the first act to, to have stars be available to us and and not see the wires and so on and so forth. So that's a conversation actually I'll have with the set designer or how important are the stars? I can definitely create the moon, project the moon, and so on and so forth, the stars would be trickier, and find out if there's a priority. Well, moon definitely, stars is a bonus, but not as important. And so those are things that I can find out. And oftentimes, uh, when they go into rehearsals, I'm, I'm always in close contact with the stage manager and, to find out how it's going and what the blocking is like. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll come in and see final rehearsal before we hit tech but uh are there parts of the stage that they're using oh yes they're making they they, they've decided to make entrances from the audience now like okay i need to light the aisles that kind of things and also productions also kind of fall into two categories in terms of staging they either hug the perimeter and you got to get every last you know cubic inch right down at the perimeter or they don't and so those are important things to to find out as well what are your pet peeves during tech week now that you mentioned that you you go to rehearsals before tech uh, just to get an idea of how everything and where everything goes Uh, but what are your as a, as a designer what are your pet peeves during tech wow i don't know if it's a pet <laughs> peeve but the the most efficient i mean there's a huge amount to do as you know for actors here we're throwing you on the stage and now we're putting you in costume <laughs> and now you got to do the quick changes and Going up and down those stairs is taking actually several seconds more than the little pieces of tape in the rehearsal room. So you, you got to negotiate all of that. Um, the I will say that the best way that tech rehearsals proceed is when the director and the cast have had ample time to prepare and have all of those a lot of those issues addressed or the directors anticipated that. And um, a lot of times we have a staging rehearsal without tech, although I get to light over them without dumping them in the dark. It's their rehearsal. It's not meant for me to stop them, but I can do a lot of lighting in that 
in that process where they do figure out how to time things with people running up and down the stairs and not getting to the main deck in time, you know, working all those kinds of sequences out, I can get a lot of things sketched in. So a, a director and who has figured out how the staging all works for them, um, they, they're they adjusting for sight lines. You know, if you could uh, please step another two feet stage left so we can see you all the way house left and those kinds of things. Um, it's interesting. Some directors are more what I call visually literate. They can visualize in three dimensions. So when they see a set model, uh, they can translate that to the rehearsal room and those little tape marks that are the stairs. They can understand visually how people on the upper level relate to people on the low, lower level if they haven't had the opportunity to have an actual platform. Mm-hmm. built as part of rehearsal um so if the director is prepared and can move forward through tech and keep it moving that's the best um i usually get together with the stage manager before we hit tech and figure out what they're because the stage manager knows exactly how you know where the tricky bits are so let's say we have a script that's 100 pages long and we've got two days to work our way through the whole thing before we have to do a, a, a run through. Um, I'll check in with the stage manager to find out, do you think it's just like 25 pages, you know, in the afternoon, 25 pages at night, you know, into four segments like that. And they'll go, no, actually the first part is actually pretty fast. So we will be able to get through more, but on the evening of that first night, there's that really tricky scene where, dot, dot, dot. So we're going to need more time. So they'll know how to allocate it. And then I will tell them, I will ask them to prompt me when we need to keep moving. And also when we need to prompt the director to keep moving, because mm-hmm. some directors may get kind of dive into smaller details and burn up a lot of time, which you know, we can do, we can do at a later moment in the, in the tech schedule. So it's, it's time management. You've been on Broadway, you've been off Broadway, you've been in Lincoln Center, you've done regional theater. What are the biggest lessons you've learned from all of them? Wow. Uh, be prepared. Yeah, you got to do your homework, uh, you know, and you got to bring your best, your best ideas and your best um, way of working always. Uh, so time management is part of it, being organized. So you have, you know, everything at your fingertips. It gets more complicated when you do, doing a really big musical. And, you know, I may be programming over a thousand parameters at a time. Um, there's a program, there's a board operator who's actually doing the programming, but I'm, I'm talking over the headset about what needs to be done. And so we'll program as fast as I can talk. And I'm pretty fast at, at being able to come up with cues, which is great. It's a developed skill. And, and so being prepared is, is, one of the big ones, um, when I work on a musical, I notice that I tend to listen to the music over and over and over again until I can 
play it back in my head at will, kind of like drop the needle wherever. So, so that, that may, it may be because of my musical, my music background. I want to have uh, mastery of the music. Mm-hmm. So I understand how it goes, how it feels. I'm not having to intellectualize it. It's part of me. Uh, same it's way embodied. that I perform. Yeah, it's in my body, just the way that the text is, but it's music especially. Um, so that's important. Um, in musicals, I've learned from Hal Prince and Tommy Toon and some other major directors that transitions are like 50% of the can be 50% of the storytelling. So not only as a design team do we have to figure out the best way to get from scene A to scene B, we also have to make it compelling, drive the story forward, uh, and that sort of stuff. And, and I've noticed that all directors and lighting designers, because we're dealing in time, all, all cues happen in time, uh, and we put a, a timing on each cue, whether it's five seconds or one uh, one-tenth of a second, we're responding to the performance as well. And directors are incredibly sensitive about timing in terms of, uh, we could take 10 minutes out of the show. There's too much air in it. And and lighting designers especially, have, I know that I have become very attuned to that and, and where we can tighten things up and move things forward. Uh, so that's part of it. And then opera just has its own uh, culture and tradition apart from plays and musicals where the maestro is the is king and and leads the way. And, and also opera, at least in my experience, um, productions are often your production of Don Giovanni is going to be compared to productions from 70 years ago, which doesn't happen as much in plays and musicals. I mean, a little bit, but there's some real hardcore fans out there and also people on staff who who will say, oh, well, Collis sang that better. And so it's like, this is really odd. <laughs> they, they're they always referring to the past. Um, that's changing and shifting, but as well. But it, it was it was an interesting phenomenon to see just how prevalent that could be. And which shows do you look up to in terms of lighting design? Oh, wow. Um, well, there was a chorus line. I love it. Theron <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs> Musser did the lighting for that. That was the first show on Broadway that had a computer lighting console, uh, which was amazing. And and she, she lit the original production on 96 dimmers, to which a lot of students are, like, completely aghast um, because... No one can even imagine, most people, a lot of people couldn't imagine doing a major hit Broadway musical on what would be a fraction of the number of dimmers that we use today. But she did, and she was always a master of economy, and she was one of my early mentors. Uh, so so that's amazing. Anything that Theron did was brilliant. 
Uh, Jennifer Tipton is a master of dance, lighting. Uh, I've worked with her. We actually worked in uh, Joffrey Ballet and also opera. We, we took a production from Los Angeles, L.A. Opera to what eventually became Los Angeles Opera to Royal Opera House, Covent Garden, and then it went on to Italy. Um, and then Hamilton, uh, Hal Binkley's lighting on Hamilton, which you can see on Disney Plus right now, is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I mean, he he's he was always an incredible lighting designer. He did a lot of dance. He did a lot of major Broadway musicals. And his work was phenomenal. And I'm so grateful that we have a record of that production. I agree. I agree. Hamilton has been a, a landmark for contemporary musical theater. And uh, I mean, it, it's everything from scenery to light to, to, to the cast, um, to the whole storytelling It's yep. it's a landmark, and I mean, how lucky we are to be alive right now <laughs> to, to have seen it <laughs> and to have a digital recording about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, what are you working at the moment? Um, I have a show coming up in the spring, uh, much to my own surprise, that. Uh, Uh, a theater that I work with a lot is planning on doing uh, a production, a live production. We we did Tally's Folly this fall that went direct to video, no audience, uh, and complied with all the safety protocols required by all of the relevant unions. And so they want to do that again this spring with another play, uh, I and You, a two-person play, direct to video if public health standards allow and if not then we'll do it 100 remote uh, we'll have our first design meeting sometime later this month and find out more about the particulars of that and what does 100 remote mean are we all in zooms zoom boxes and what is my role in that and so on and so forth but they're hoping to to do a direct to video And then I have another show in spring of 2022, which was also a great surprise when I got that offer. And I got that offer maybe a month or two ago. And I had to like reread the email twice. It's It said 2022. I went, oh, my God, somebody's actually planning that ahead. And... Of course, I said yes to that. So it's it's interesting to see where people are uh, and the contingency plans that they're that they're making to see what happens. Yeah, and and there are all there are a lot of people that are at the moment um, working on stuff for uh, an opening night in one year ahead. Or two years yeah. ahead. So um, hopefully this pandemic will be over soon when everyone gets the vaccine. Um, but yeah, and hopefully hopefully we can go back to the theater soon. Uh, I have one last question before we go. Since okay. I know you've done musicals, what yes. are your top five favorite musical theater shows? Go. Oh my God. <laughs> Only five? <laughs> 
let's see. We talked about um, Hamilton, Chorus Line, um, Sunday in the Park with George, uh, just about anything Sondheim. Um, you know, they're the classics from Rogers and Hammerstein. Uh, and there's so many of those, you know, including Sound of, Sound of Music, which has been around for ages and ages. And I would also have to put Showboat, since I lived with the music of Jerome Kern for five and a half years. That was a, that was a groundbreaking musical in its time. Um, the reason how Prince wanted to do that one as a show that was coming out of the 1920s, which were all reviews and follies. Everything was very lighthearted, very frivolous, no real book mm -hmm. to, to go to take us through a story. And Showboat was one of the first that did that and, and talked about a, a lot of serious issues like a, um, a, a marriage between a, uh, a black woman and a white man and how they were cast out because of that, um, as well as the vaudeville acts and so on in, in the show. And Jerome Kern also wrote underscoring under scenes. This is in the 1920s. And he wrote all of that in addition to all of the music. And it's beautiful. And I, I got to live with that music for five and a half years as I, you know, popped around to all the different um, stop cities that, that the show went to. And I really came to love and appreciate everything that he brought to music and to musical theater. I agree with you, Showboat was another landmark in, in, in Broadway and in musical theater history. Uh, well, Don, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate you having over. Um, and I cannot wait to see the shows you just mentioned uh, and everything that will come your way. Thank you, Martin. And all the best to you for the coming year. I can't wait to find out more about how your year unfolds as well. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. No, thank you. <laughs> See you soon then. <laughs> yes. Be well. Thanks everyone for listening to this new episode of Backstage Talk. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Backstage Talk Podcast. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot -E 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 org because only together we rise.